0: Touch you, change all that you change, changes you. The only lasting truth is change.
1: God is change. So, hello, this is Adria Marie Brown,
0: and this is Toshi Regan,
1: and we are the co hosts of Octavia's Parables a chapter-by-chapter chapter reading of Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower. And eventually we're going to do the talents and maybe some trickster. Our announcements for this week, um, just a reminder that you can get Octavia tried to tell us T-shirts uh, from Exit the Apple. They're cute. It would be great if we all had them. And people had to ask, <laughs> Octavia, who? And you can introduce someone new to our. Our prophet, God is saint. And um, if you don't have it already, the graphic novel of the parable of the sower is out from Damien Duffy and John Jennings. And um, yeah, I think that's all the announcements this week. Anything from you, Toshi?
0: We can buy any of Octavia's books.
1: <laughs> buy every single one of Octavia's books? Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah. Get them all. They're amazing. You literally can't amazing go world. wrong.
1: So here we are. Chapter 10. Um, last last episode was a hard one. And just to give y'all a heads up, this one's going to be harder. So, uh, Toshi, do you want to start us off with Summer Seed?
0: Well, um, I'm happy to, but we actually go to another year. Oh, yeah. And yep. uh,
1: yeah. We, so, we left off in November of 2025. And now we are in June of
0: 2026. Yes, and uh, she gives us a little reading to recognize this year. She says, uh, civilization is to groups what intelligence is to individuals. It is a means of combining the intelligence of many to achieve ongoing group adaptation. Civilization, like intelligence, may serve well. Serve adequately or fail to serve its adaptive function. When civilization fails to serve, it must disintegrate unless it is acted upon by unifying internal or external forces.
1: So here we are. You want to tell us a little bit about what happens here? Some summary.
0: Yeah, I just want to let you know that what I just read is what she just gives for the year 2026. Yes. Yep. Then you go to chapter 10. And she yes. Has something else for you.
1: Oh, give us that um, additional blessing.
0: Let, let me give you that. Okay. <laughs> chapter 10. When apparent stability disintegrates, as it must, God is changed. People tend to give in to fear and depression, to need and greed. When no influence is strong enough to unify people, they divide, they struggle, one against one, group against group, for survival, position, power. They remember old hates and generate new ones. They create chaos and nurture it. They kill and kill and kill until they are exhausted and destroyed, until they are conquered by outside forces or Until one of them becomes a leader, most will follow, or a tyrant, most fear.
1: Right. Woohoo. Yeah. Every time I hear that verse or read that verse, I think of Grace Lee Boggs' question, what time is it on the clock of the world? Mm. And where we are now and how we have a tyrant leader. and Yes. And how time is not linear <laughs> and how it's yeah. like we're fighting and killing and and here we are in Octavia's microcosm of all of this.
0: Yes. And I also think looking at a lot of devastating conflicts that have caused a lot of death, that thing about the tyrant leader and then the bringing up of like old hurts and old wounds yes. and instigating um, violence um, yeah. and then there there becomes that that one day when it just goes goes crazy yeah. you know and people have to run as fast as they can to try to survive that one day or yes. this one hour of like you know and this is this is talked about in almost every single conflict humans have had yes that that have records that that somebody actually makes it happen yeah and people follow along so yeah. we this is a hard chapter Mm-hmm. Um, but we have lots of opportunities,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, not necessarily right here, but we do have them.
1: <laughs> no, but I think so, that one of the biggest opportunities as we head into this hard chapter is mm. what I always have to remember when I'm reading the parables, which is there's nothing that is talked about in this chapter that is not happening in our world right now today.
0: Mm-hmm. There's nothing yeah. in this
1: chapter that, that is not an act of possibility in this moment. And if we can't turn and face this story, then we can't turn and face our own reality and find the opportunity to move out of this kind of reality to something else. So we, we are rigorously paying attention to this so that we can rigorously see ourselves.
0: Okay. Mm. That's, thank you. Thank you for that. So we get a whole lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, we continue the journey with Keith. Yeah. Um we get Lauren really understanding that now Keith has kind of survived outside for a period of time and she can learn from him. Yes. And this, um, this really sets Lauren's um, intention to leave. And she is starting to gather, you know, information and understanding. And, um, and so now she, she gets an opportunity as Keith is coming back and forth into the community to really ask him about his journey and what's going on and to yeah. learn um and I think she's pretty shocked by what's happening and you know has this um you know has she has a, she's she has a rigid right and wrong line yes. this is what you do this is what you don't do and and Keith has you know if he has one it's it's on another spectrum <laughs> like it's not
1: yeah. they're they not aligned yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: They're not aligned in that. So she is she gets pretty um surprised by Keith's behavior and some of the decisions that he's made. Yeah. And uh that is that is pretty devastating to her and yet she still wants to learn. She's from yeah, she him. wants
1: to hear more. And yeah. this is also the chapter I feel like, you know, as he's telling her stuff like, Oh, I'm in this big old house, I'm in this place with a bunch of virtual reality sets in it and like reading is the skill set that I use to navigate and barter and survive um, and that he's up to stuff. You know, he says that her hyper empathy would actually bring her down out there. Like he's like, the this thing you have, like you wouldn't be able to make it out there.
0: Mm, that's really important information for her and yeah. I think for us just to connect to the right to, to the um to the right now is he does survive on reading and writing yes. like he has a skill set that many people don't have yeah and he he says that like well they have money and they could buy all this stuff but they couldn't put it together because they couldn't read the directions exactly. <laughs> and and he comes in and he's like a, a magician like he goes look yeah you connect this to this and boom 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 now your gigantic like you know thing works yeah. <laughs> and um, and the frustration, it's a small thing, but the frustration that they have that they can't put these toys together and they start breaking them yes. because they're like, they're useless and they're useless because they don't know how to to read the directions. Um, so
1: it's no matter what. It's that regressive what. society, right? Like as things fall apart, there is that regressing that happens. And I feel like in that Octavia actually explores this in a number of places, in a number of ways. Um, she talks about it in Clay's Ark. She talks about it in her short story, Speech Sounds. I feel like she was very obsessed with this idea of as we move forward, there will be these moments of transition where it's kind of a wheat from shaft will happen, a wheat from mm. shaft where like something will fall back and mm. something will move forward. And yeah. in this, we see that like, oh, there's some who are who are regressing from whatever we were capable of, and there are some who are shooting forward, um, who are who could mm. shoot forward in that moment. What are some of the things that Keith has done?
0: Well, Keith is um, Keith is killed a person. Yes, um, Pete, Keith kills an an, um, an elder. Um, he thinks the elder is absurd. He sees him as vulnerable. He he kind of. Befriends him enough to get close to him and figure out what he has. Yeah. And where he thinks he's going. And then he kills him and takes his stuff. Yeah. And um Annie Annie does he he has no remorse. He's like he was ridiculous. Yeah. He he was like he's going to Alaska. <laughs> and yeah. um and this uh, you know, this really confirms like Lauren's Real, like, understanding that that this this person is not of one of her. You know, yeah. he's, the, he's he has a level of ruthlessness that, um, at his young age and at any age, is unacceptable. Yeah. And the other thing that happens is he has these growth spurts. So he starts. He's still like thirteen years old, like thirteen, fourteen, something like that. Yeah. But he's starting to to look like a you know a grown young man. Yeah. Um. So he, is, he has done that.
1: So it's like um, she has hyper empathy. And in a way, it's almost like she got all of it and Keith got none. Right? Like he, the survival yeah. is like she feels everything and he can't feel anything.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. he He can only feel like the – I feel like he feels the against – like yes. whatever he interprets as against is like is very radiant like it's just very hot yeah. and he doesn't have a trajectory to it you yeah. know and no matter what like it's ironic but no matter what he did he's making sure he comes home when his dad's not there yes. like he's making sure that you know like he killed a man and yeah. he can't face he can't face his father yeah. so it's it's very interesting like what is violent to him and what is extreme to him and what is is brutal to him. And, yeah. um,
1: and what life feels like with an absence of destiny, like an absence of a yeah. sense of purpose. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Yes. And, you know, Lauren still, like, is I'm going to learn everything I can from him. And one of the things that he tells her about are the paints. Yeah. And um, the paints are this, like, very, very destructive group Um, of people who take a particular drug and the drug makes them want to see fire. It makes them, everything around them is fire, it's fascinating and it's, um, they paint their, they literally paint their faces like bright colors. Um, And then they enjoy like setting fires. They enjoy setting people on fire. Um, They're really, really super, super reckless and super dangerous and super violent. Yes. And get, you know, in the show we say, um, you know, a drug come from from Chicago that make people think um, watching fire is better than sex. Yes. And, and you know, so it's, it becomes that he, you know, and when he's saying she can't deal with the outside, like, guess what he's talking about is how. It's um, beyond, Yeah. It's it's beyond like where you've been and you don't understand. Even if this has been hard, no, this is not it's not hard. Like it's yeah. you don't understand. Yep. Yeah. You really don't understand.
1: So he comes back again on her birthday.
0: Yeah, he does. And he comes back again on her birthday and he's a little sweet. Yeah. You know? He's a little bit like I don't know what it is, but it's like he finds her. Mm-hmm. You know? And He, he just is his, he's make, is, is he making a shift? I don't know. Like now he's seen some things and he's, and he's experienced life and he's been with all these strangers he didn't grow up with. And you have to think he lives in a very dangerous lane, um, that you can make mistakes with those people and terrible things can happen. And even if they need you, you know, they not going to need you that much. Like, so I'm sure he lives under a great deal of stress, and even if Lauren doesn't like him, like she's never actually treated him bad, yeah, and it reminds me also like when you're in a family and you have like you know a big sister or a little sister or older cousin- whoever somebody's older than you that you've watched your entire life, yes, and you you kind of form a relationship to them, and I'm always surprised like those people see you differently than the relationship you think you have with them, mm-hmm. you know, like one time I sat with my brother and, you know, it was after like, we had a hard time in my family and my brother told me what he thought. And I was like, it was nothing like I thought uh-huh. he would think, you know, he's like, well, when you do this and like, I thought this happened because, you know, mom did that. And I thought this, like his narrative of things was, it was, they were so far off. yeah. But one thing he was doing was trying to protect me.
1: Mm-hmm. And it was
0: so interesting. And I was like, no, you keep getting in the way at the wrong, like you keep, <laughs> da, 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 da. you know, we had that moment. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's you know, it's interesting the way that that um, Lauren sees him and the way he sees himself. Yeah. It just is a moment where you see he kind of like has some admiration for her mm-hmm. and he just was very sweet with her.
1: Yeah. And, and he tries to... Yeah. He tries to give her money, right? Yeah, He's like, I've got money for you. And she's like, give it to Corey. Like, I don't want to have anything to do with it, which again, is that like line, that values line. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you can give it to Corey if you want to. Like, it's for you. And um, one interesting piece of information for this section is that we realize he still has the gate key, right? Like, Mm -hmm. he's still able to come in and out and that there is something also telling about that, that he still wants to have access to this place. He hasn't fully let it go. Um, and it just feels very tender.
0: It's very beautiful, but it's also like a decision that was made by Reverend Alamina because I'm sure he didn't tell, like they didn't have a community meeting and oh, agree, like sure. we should let Keith, well, don't we let Keith have a gate key? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. that's cool with me. So Reverend Alamina like is gone. And has made the decision that it's okay for Keith to come and go yeah and um and Lauren's even afraid for him because he's he looks so different, yeah that she's worried if people see him walking around like that he could actually get shot inside in, the gate in
1: the gates, yep yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah, so it's it is it is a very you know strange collaboration of of decision making
1: and then it yeah. happens.
0: And then it happens that Keith um, Keith is killed. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you remember the first time you read it, and he and you and then you found out he died? What did you think?
1: I I remember the first time I read it, I cried, and I was like, "Oh, is not like she's not pulling punches in this story; like she's not." Mm-hmm. Um, it made me think everyone was going to die. Mm. That, you know, I was just like, oh, like, it, I felt like that was the moment where I was like, everyone is going to die. <laughs> like the story is, mm. this is this is an apocalypse story like that. Um, I also felt like it was a a warning, a canary in the coal mine of the story, that like the way that Lauren's parents were handling things and the decisions they were making were not sufficient for the time and mm. we're not up for mm. the moment. And it wasn't that they weren't trying their hardest. It wasn't that it wasn't enough love. It wasn't any of those things like they were trying so hard, but they were trying so hard to hold on to the past. And so because they were holding on to the past, they were not making the adaptations actually needed for, for the present and the future. And to mm-hmm. me, Keith's death is the sign of all of all of that because it means that what's happening outside that wall and the way he dies, which, um, it's, it's one of the worst deaths I can remember ever reading about, yeah. you know, where it was like, um, mm, it's, it's, uh, it's like the way, you know, when I think of this today, you know, like these things that happen, but it's like, when you think I wouldn't do that to my worst enemy, yeah, the kind of death that Keith has is the kind of death that you wouldn't give to your worst enemy. It's incomprehensible yeah. for most of us.
0: Yeah, it really is. Lawrence says they wanted they wanted people to know that this is what happens when you cross a line. Yes, that that she's like you know, there's it, it, many ways to, you know, in someone's life, and then there's a way that you do it so that it is actually. Seen and um and in itself becomes a message yeah to to anyone who sees it, like this is what happens, yeah, like don't mess with us,
1: like, yeah, and you know this is very current, like this feels like the way our government responds to what they feel to be an offense, it feels mm-hmm. like the way police officers respond to what they feel is a disrespect. Mm -hmm. And it feels like the way our communities turn on each other when violence feels like the only answer. And that so often throughout human history, we have felt, oh, if we, if the punishment is steep enough, if the torture is severe enough, if the violence is harsh enough, then other people will know not to cross this line. And it never works. Ever. Like, it's never, <laughs> yes. ever, ever worked. Um, no. But it's it's interesting to think about this kid who we know to be, like, a 14-year-old kid. And, and I don't remember if they say what – if they ever know what he could have done to create such rage or create such a response to him. Do we ever know that?
0: I don't think so, but I um... – you know, it's. I mean, knowing Keith, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like he he's he's you know. I mean, yeah. he seemed to always be in a sense of like I need to go to the levels I need to go. I can imagine him, um, you know, not staying too long in a position of like I'm going to read for y'all and I'm going to be this kind of person for y'all, yeah. and want to have you know bigger plans and say the wrong thing to the wrong person. Yeah, um, or try to and, kill the wrong person. Or try to kill the wrong person. Mm-hmm. Um, he made he made a big mistake um, yeah. for his life. Yeah, and I just love you know really thank you that you say like how um, offering violence is is never like done transitioned anybody into glory and greatness. Like it just hasn't. It's never worked. Um, it just makes more violence. It makes more devastation. And the people especially when you look at how our people are incarcerated, the people that have gone through, you know, spending any time um, in this um, evil system of (laughs) incarceration in this country, and they've come out and they've got to kind of retain their soul and their spirit in some way. Mm -hmm. Like those are miraculous people because Mm -hmm. it's just totally designed to drain you of your life force and to not offer Any roads of restoration, no matter what you've done, so you know that it
1: requires a numbing of that very essential thing that makes us human. It's never made sense to me. Like logically, I've never been able to logic it out that I will step away from my humanity to protect humanity, or I'll step away from Mm. my humanity to assert humanity. You know, like I'm like, well, it seems like we would need to step closer to our humanity, and yes. I, I think here it's so powerful that Lauren, one of her first thoughts upon this loss of her brother with whom she had this complicated relationship and that she thinks that her his killers would have been more compassionate if they had her hyper empathy syndrome. Mm. Right. Like, and I, this is one of the first times where like so far it's been a vulnerability to her, a hindrance to her. And I feel like this is one of the first times where she starts to think, oh, I wish I could give this to other people. Like, I wish other people could feel when when someone near them is being hurt and that that would reduce the violence in some way.
0: Mm. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that we didn't mention... Mm-hmm. Is when Lauren is like cooking for Keith and trying to learn everything. Oh yeah. And he talks about the beating that she says he beat her once, um, mm-hmm. pretty bad. Mm-hmm. That she was she was getting down um with a with a with a boy and she got caught and Reverend Olomina like lost his mind again. Yeah. Um and I'm beat her terribly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um and she had the hyper empathy, so beating her at all is is on some other level yeah. of torture, um, yeah. and especially if you if you know um, that that's the case. And I wrote a note. It's, it's you know because I'm reading from one of the books that I use for mm. the building the opera, and I wrote a note and said, "Is there something wrong with Reverend Olamina?" Yeah, you know, and yep. I didn't I didn't explore it. Um, it's an undercurrent in how we think about him, um, as this person on, on, on top with so much genius and so much love and, um, so much skill, so much available to think wide and big thoughts and yeah. to be collaborative. And then it's just like, there is a line and he, when he hits that line, he is incredibly violent. Yeah. And, um, he loses that part of him that we are like, oh, he's so amazing, just disappears.
1: Yeah. And I feel like for many of us who, um, you know, we live in this period where it's like, oh, our parents came out of the Vietnam era. Our parents had come out of many wars. Our parents have come out of deep poverty or survived or still been in deep poverty. I think many of us know that particular paradigm of people who are extremely loving and charming with this great violence. It's very, to me, it feels very American, but I also know a lot of people who are like parents who come from anywhere, you know, like it's generationally common to have this like love and rage against each other in in um, imbalanced ways. And in this particular case with, with Reverend Olamina, I always think about his Christianity and his relationship to Christianity mm-hmm. and that Old Testament, New Testament, balance and navigation. You know, that Old Testament was that judgment, that fire, that brimstone, anger, punishment. And mm-hmm. then there's that, you know, New Testament, like your your sins have been covered by someone else's sacrifice. And the idea that is like <laughs> there's supposed to be so much more forgiveness available and so right. much more space available for anyone of any behavior that nothing could be outside of what god could hold and forgive and how for so many people who hold that christian worldview that when it links up with patriarchy it's like they can never move out of that old testament (laughs) or it's like (laughs) the vision is new testament but like the the justice is still old testament and i feel like that's very present in him
0: it's it's such a hard world it's such a hard world in the old testament It's hard uh-huh. yeah it's and hard I'm, in the way that I'm, this
1: is hard right it's like it is oh when we face apocalypse you know and everything is up for change it becomes very difficult like you, everything is at the surface and right now we're we are in this apocalypse of white supremacy and apocalypse pandemic apocalypse and it's like, it's very hard right now. You know, the desire for justice to be very clear, black and white. Yes. You know, I see a lot of Reverend Olamina present in the world yes. right now.
0: Yes. He even, um, he even is like, you know, Keith is murdered in a horrible way. Yeah. And so they have to go and identify the body. And yes. he wants to keep, he sees it. He doesn't want Corey to see it. They don't let the kids come to see it. But when he gets home, he describes everything about it. Yeah. Like he tells them everything, like, and <laughs> Yeah. I feel like again, that's like another like, you know, if you know how horrible it is, that's gonna stop you from Exactly You know it's gonna keep you safe Scared in straight. some kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna keep you safe. And it goes it also goes into what you were saying earlier about um you know, thinking about uh, kids and 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 how you're teaching them and and what um, access you're giving them and and just what kind of worlds you're creating, um, because there is that that thing where you're you're like really thinking like what's nurturing like what are ingredients, what are what is helpful to know, mm-hmm. you know what is. Um, What is our practice of of moving through our communities in a certain particular way so that they learn, you know, I don't know, streets and, you know, directions and things like that so that they can feel a part of the community that they're in? Because we've lost that a lot with GPS and, and, you know, what are the things, (laughs) what are the, what are the, you know, nurturing things and important things you can share and that that's a practice, and that it's not reflective of like, oh, you know, they killed somebody on the street mm-hmm. and so now you you know how did you learn about the state of you know the city of Minneapolis? like how did mm-hmm. you learn about it? Did you know about it before George floyd, or did you own do you only know about places when something horrible happens mm-hmm. and so like what is a what is a way to teach about? Teach about where we are. Teach about the world. Teach about countries. Teach about language. Teach about all of these things where your information is now held. And when wonderful things happen, you can locate them. When hard things happen, you uh, you're like, oh, I know where that is. Yes. And you know that That's it just makes, yeah. And when it I makes feel me like, think. Yeah. Go ahead. No. 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 You're going to say what what I was thinking again. (laughs) (laughs) So just go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say, I feel like you're pivoting as beautifully into these, into the questions of this chapter, because it really is like, what is appropriate to tell our children that allows them to still want to move towards the future. I think about this all the time. Like how do we give our children what they need to know to survive, but also what they need to know to want to survive and, this is one of these moments where I'm like, I don't think I would have shared what he shared. Um, Like it was devastating already. And, Mm -hmm. um, but like, you know, again, I, there's so many places where I disagree (laughs) with his, his choices, his parenting choices. Um, So are we ready to move into some of the questions for this chapter?
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah? Yeah. So one thing, and this is a sort of, a a light question to help us in this heavy moment but I I noticed something new every time I read the parables and which is remarkable given how many times I've read them I'm like there can't be anything new and this time what I noticed is that Octavia Butler's birthday is June 22nd which is the beginning of cancer season and Lauren Olamina's birthday is July 20th which is the end of cancer season and it Mm -hmm. made me think about Astrology, which I'm pretty sure Octavia Butler was not into. So I'm like, I wonder if this is totally an accident. But in an astrological tip, if you are aware of it, then you have cancers. Cancers are, um, you know, some would argue the most emotional sign in the astrological spread. They're the ones who feel everything, who cry, who need to process, who need to hold And if there was going to be a sign that was aligned with the hyper empaths, it would be the cancers. And so it made me wonder if we should be, you know, just looking to the leadership of the cancers these days um, and paying Mm. attention to those who are born in that window, if there's something important about those who are born in that window. I think Pisces are a close second on the emotionality. But um, So that was a lighter question. Another question I have here is – You know, I think back to Keith sharing with her that reading is the skill that he's using to navigate the world. It's his barter. And asking people, what are the skill sets of the future that you already have that you take for granted right now? Um, Mm. Things that come from your privilege, things that your parents just wanted to make sure you had, things that it feels like everyone has that in the future might become rare and might become of more use? Um, and are you even aware of them as you're developing things? Um, mm. Do you have a sense of that? Do you have like a, oh, these are some of the skills that I just take for granted. Have you ever had a moment like that where it was like, here's something I take for granted that is yeah. suddenly useful?
0: I mean, honestly, I actually do. I mean, I I really <laughs> like hanging with kids. Uh-huh. Like. Mm-hmm. I'm really good with kids, and I I love and adore them completely. And um, I don't know if people would want me to watch their kids because I pretty much like don't be telling me stuff unless they're allergic to it. Don't tell me what I can't feed. Them <laughs> like. I'm like I'm that god mom. I'm that auntie. I am like what you want. They like Chinese food. I'm like okay is that on the list? Nope. Okay. <laughs> you know um, I'm I'm a big a big spoiler and um and I I learned a lot from them so I I've never had like um uh, you know uh, except for like my guy kids and Tishan obviously yeah. but uh yeah I think I'm good at that and I often think that I might like if things really started to move in certain ways that I would be um I'm not super mobile but I w- would be able to like hold a bunch of kids. Yes. And and occupy space and time with oh them. Oh my for gosh, a we can long. run the
1: Octavia Butler Childcare Center <laughs> because that's also one of my gifts is I'm like I can spend a pretty ridiculous amount of time with children and feel really yeah. like pleased and well used in it. And yeah. <laughs> like uh And just meet them where they're at. You know, like, I don't feel a lot of need to try to direct kids in any direction. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I'm reminded that uh, our producer, Kat, she sews. And I remember years ago, I was like, when the apocalypse comes, you're going to, like, sew all of our clothing. And (laughs) she was like, I don't sew fast. Like, that's not going to really work. But now in covid you haven't need. you just needed to sew masks and we've needed folks who could right. produce and sew masks. And it's just been, I think yeah. COVID has been a great time of learning like, oh, here's skills that I have. Like I actually take, not take for granted, you know, it's important th- to me, but I don't think of it as a community skill that I'm like, I process emotions into words fairly quickly. And mm-hmm. right now I have found it to be of use where I'm like, oh, like, I can write about this in a way that's, that might help people feel it and process it um, in ways mm-hmm. that they might not otherwise be able to access. And, and yes. Yeah. Right. Like I'm just saying, like, yeah. Oh, we need to be poets right now. And we need to be like writers and essayists and like un- help to un- make meaning of what we're in so that we don't, like you say, take it for granted or normalize. It's like, this is not normal. Let us not pretend. Mm -hmm. Let's use our words to call out what it actually is. Um, Yeah. And I think so many people are having to turn and be like, oh, like gardening. (laughs) The little side Mm -hmm. habit I had is suddenly really important for being able to have fresh food. Or uh, my other one has been like centering. Uh like I've spent the last ten years learning how to center in a somatic way and and not be not move with my initial reaction, but actually center, get mm-hmm. grounded, find my purpose and then move. And mm-hmm. it is helping me survive this because mm-hmm. my first reaction is often not in the direction of my safety or community safety. Um even if it's just the small community of this household. <laughs> and it helps to be able to be like, hold on, let me reconnect to why I'm on this planet, what I'm meant to do here. How can I show up like that in this conversation with my mom? Or yeah. how can I show up like that in this conversation with my sweetheart or my dad or my turtle or whoever, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So...
0: Another I, one... Yeah, go Another one I I wanted to really uplift is togetherness. Yes. That, you know, togetherness is such a great skill set to be able to join together. And looking at the um, protests that, you know, stem from the Black Lives Matter protests that started to make all kinds of, you know, other protests and occupy like um, artistically, the streets with the murals and, um, and there's Mm -hmm. like just such a powerful offering of togetherness that, you know, what Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's tremendous skill set that people are using and activating right now. And what it means to join something that you're not in charge of and, and to bear witness and add your voice is to, you know, hear, um, hear words spoken that you're like mm, oh I like that I don't like that oh mm-hmm. I like that I don't like that but stay your body in a space and um, and mm-hmm. if you and it's and it's so powerful that it's actually re- revealing
1: mm-hmm.
0: the the very and in our time it's revealing the very small assets like that our our government has by which to like you know activate a path it's it's like it's terror period like that's, it's terror and thievery. So like our togetherness is really, um, we're using that skill set and I, I want to uplift it for the future, but I want to uplift it for the right now. now. Um, in this particular chapter, you know, they do call the police and by the time they call the police, like the police, you have to pay for the police. And so it's interesting that right now we're like defund the police, but (laughs) And Octavia sees that we actually, some, a child could go missing and you have to hire the police
1: to Mm -hmm. look for them. Yeah.
0: And, um, so to really understand, make that connection where people are saying defund the police there, they're saying like, here's all this money that all of us have paid into a pot and then it's being used in this particular way. Um, not the best that could be used and then definitely, um, violently against some particular people and what we're saying is let's pull this money out let's take this money away and let's rethink like what we actually need and what it could look like Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the fear around people saying defund i can't just i'm like god money is such a thing oh yeah but if people could like work past this fear around you know defund and this fear of like lack of protection and Mm -hmm. lack of you know service and get to like what do we want? What do we really want? Like, what is, what do we need? And what, what do we, do we, need we want? What do
1: we want? And I literally think I've said this to five people since I heard Miriam Kaba say it the other day, but she did a panel on abolition for the Allied Media Conference, um, along with Rachel Herzig and um, Andrea Ritchie holding the space. And then all these local organizers from Minneapolis mm-hmm. and Atlanta and Detroit talking about this moment in abolition, one of the things she said was the state has had 250 well-funded years of experimentation with this manner of policing and has failed miserably to stop harm. And so when we say defund the police, redistribute those resources to community solutions for community accountability and other options, and then folks are like, oh, take $10,000 and try and make it work. And it's like, <laughs> no, <laughs> fuck you. Like you, no. you, you, it's time for something else, right? And yeah. um, and I, I really feel that, and I feel the presence of that in this chapter because it's like we don't, we don't want to have to be finding our children. We don't want our children to be in danger. <laughs> like, no. um, so some other questions for this chapter. I feel like this one really shows how differently people can respond to the same circumstances. So, Keith mm-hmm. and Lauren are raised in the same household, same parents, same exposure to ideas, and they're both trying to figure out how to survive the limitations of their world. Lauren has this destiny awakened inside of her and it gives her purpose. I wonder how we would understand Keith's motivations. And I wonder for each person who listens to this do you know what your motivations are? What is your destiny? <clears throat> what is your purpose? Mm-hmm. Are you tied in with one? And when we see people who it it seems like, why are they just so out of alignment with our community and causing harm? Do we take the time to ask, what are their motivations? And can we change the conversation if we can have a a conversation that acknowledges they have motivations, just like we do. They have something that feels like purpose or destiny, right? Even if we can't understand it. Um, That's
0: such a great question. I wish I I wish I had a called Curtis Cook, who was the first person to um, play Keith. Mm. And Curtis Curtis really fought for P- Keith Keith's humanity. Um, and when we were building the opera, and he was like, he's just like he's just like Lauren. And, and we were like, no, he's not. But <laughs> he, I, I have to ask him. I'm gonna ask him again. Like, what? what, what did he see? Yes, in this character, yeah. um, because he really was like, no, he's like he just really understood that like that it it was the father. It was the mm-hmm. conditions that what didn't get adaptable enough around him. Yeah. You know, and that his urge was to like actually leave the community and like he got no support around it.
1: Yes. And like, you know, the way that I always think he is like Lauren is that they both knew that the walls were not going to hold them, that the wall was not, That's right. the safety was being presented at. They just had different strategies for moving outside the walls and, His didn't work. And the next question, what that always leads me to is, you know, in the last chapter, we have Lauren saying, I hate him. And then we experience him coming in and the sweetness and some nostalgia, and then he's gone. And it leads me to this question of like, are we grieving honestly? And so often when we lose people, there's that instant deification that happens and like rinsing, trying to wash them purely away all the parts of them that were sharp edges and hard pieces and places where maybe they caused harm, right? Mm -hmm. And like, how do we do a great honor to the people who we knew and to their whole lives by how we grieve? Um, And so just reflecting on that, You know, in this COVID period, I know a lot of people who've lost a lot of people and have just been watching grief be a more present, named, spoken of practice. Mm -hmm. You know, some folks are really like, everybody's lying about (laughs) who this person was. And, you know, other folks are like, let's grieve well by grieving honestly. So, um, that feels relatively important. And then my final question for this chapter is Lauren says that if more people had hyper empathy, it might have stopped or changed Keith's death. And it left me with the question who is holding hyper empathy now? Where is hyper empathy being developed, honed, harnessed and shaped? I know that I've been in the practice of somatics for the past 10 years and it feels a lot like that. Like I'm someone who has always felt so much. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, if someone tells me like, oh, so-and-so broke their leg. Like I have to reach down to my leg. Like mm. I, I've always been that, you know, I can't, there's certain injuries I can't watch. I can't handle watching or certain things I can't hear about. And so when I first read about hyper empathy, I was like, bam, I see myself, I feel this. And then <laughs> somatics helped me begin to harness that so that being able to feel so much was not just um, overwhelming to me, but actually something that I was like, oh, this is why I facilitate well. This is why I can mm-hmm. mediate. Like this is why I, um, the way that I write, you know, touches people in a certain way is because it's feeling harnessed and mm-hmm. um, not controlled because I don't think that's I don't think that's possible or desirable but mm-hmm. there's almost no feeling that I've come across that I can't be with and I wonder where else those feelings are getting honed where do we learn to feel and I'm interested in talking with you about this because I feel like when I come to see the opera <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sitting in the audience and it's like you have harnessed the emotion of this story so that it is like shock waves of emotion moving through the collective body. And mm. I wonder if you have a consciousness around that, like, did you have to learn to hold all that feeling to hold the feeling that comes up when you do a live performance to harness that for social change, you know, like how conscious are you of what you're doing with feeling?
0: Yeah. I mean, Adrian, you know, I, Thank you for that question. But I never thought I would be in this show. So, I never, like you know, when I was creating it, I never I thought I would be. So, that's great. funny. I wish mm. you had told me that earlier. Yeah. <laughs> you're your going to be up yeah, in this show, girl. You're a dusty girl. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but so, as we were creating, like all those years of mm. me and my mom, you know, working on it, and then even when we did in 2000 was it 15 that mm-hmm. you saw the workshop for yeah, the like black box. concert version? I didn't know even then that I would be actually in the show. Like I was like, Oh, I'm we, when we, when we made the arc, um, Eric, who's the director said, you know, we were like thinking of how do we guide people along in a story? Cause we weren't actually telling the narrative and we mm-hmm. made it really clear That we're exploring a condition and we didn't have all the characters and, you know, all that. Hmm. And I was like, and I I just was like sitting there brainstorming with him. I was like, all we need is like somebody to just like kind of four or five times just place us where we are. And he's looking at me like, Uh wait, really? Are you really saying that? So (laughs) he was like, duh, Toshi, how don't you do it? And I was Uh. like, so that's how I, I got into it. And then I was resistant I have forever like I mm-hmm. what I really but I have to say what I had was the music because I knew the music is is something that we all could be a part of together Great. and um and that becomes the you know that becomes the the currency and when I say currency I don't mean money I mean that the current literally like it just becomes uh-huh. the thing we all all can ride in to experience the journey. And so it's exactly the same for me. Um, and I think I just, just like this year, like last year, this year, just started to sit in my chair well. Like I just, start, I was like, oh, okay, mm. this is like, this is what you, you can do this and this. And I, and it's like, I this year I started to feel more breath around me and less anxiety and like more that, you know, I can have this conversation, yeah. um, you know, with all of these brilliant people and brilliant musicians and brilliant people who assemble. And, you know, by the time that we get into a building telling a story, all of these, all of this other journeying has happened before it. And so you do go into a familiar place and you do feel like you're with your your people inside of a wall.
1: Exactly. Um, yeah. And you feel it, I think that I love that you explain that journey because, you know, when I read this book and when I look at a lot of our leaders now, and even I feel this in myself, there's a little bit of that Jonah and the whale energy, like not me, (laughs) like, you know, that's cool that something needs to happen, but I'm not the one and kind of running from destiny, running from destiny, which is, this is always my favorite story. (laughs) And then you get swallowed up and it's like, you're going to sit here until you realize that you have a calling and uh, and that resistance is futile and that instead you need to learn to be with the scale of it and even the ridiculousness of it, right? That like, oh, I have to tell the story. Oh, mm-hmm. I have to ask people to look at ants now. Oh, I have to, you know, like, <laughs> I have to tell people, like, Octavia Butler has strategy for us or, yes. right? And- I don't want to be the one to do it. And oh, that's what I'm tasked with by something yes. larger than myself and and larger even than than any one person or people alive. You know, this is where mm-hmm. that 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 greater greater destiny comes in and I think that's the question I want to leave our our listeners with today is you know, if we know that turning away from destiny or being lost from destiny is is getting lost from humanity, you know mm-hmm. then are you listening for your destiny and are you learning how to feel everything you're gonna need to feel to fulfill your destiny?
0: Bravo mm-hmm. and i I want to say a Bernice Johnson Regan thing Ooh, is good. um you know one time i uh she was here how do I do this? It was a really interesting thing. She, we I went to DC. <laughs> yes, I yeah, was in DC. I was just. supposed to do something. <laughs> I'll tell you a story about okay. me and my mom.
1: Yeah,
0: And um, my mom's, one of my mom's best friends, Anne Romaine, passed away. Okay. And Anne is, um, if you go actually to uh, UNC Wilson Library, you can see Anne's And my mom's letters, Um, correspondence—that's like (laughs) so weird, (laughs) so weird. I I read them; Um, they're beautiful, and um, yeah, and like you know, not soft and mushy, but they're beautiful. No, and Anne is real correspondence, Mm -hmm. real correspondence, and Anne was really an important partner in my mom's life. Um, They produced a festival, and it was one of the, the first things in the South where a white woman and a black woman produced it together. And they had white artists and black artists. And I was there as a baby Aww. driving around with them. And, um, and they just did They accomplished a, a tremendous amount of trans transformation that, um, you really have to follow a path to witness. And they were young, they were like early twenties and did all this powerful work. So wow. she, she died and my mom had to do a, a talk. And I can't remember where it where it was, but it was like young people and it was really big, it was a lot of people. And so I was like, should I fly with you on the plane to go back to New York where I lived? And she said, yes. So I flew with her and then I stayed with her and I watched her do this thing. And her friend had just died. Mm. And she did this whole thing about, um, you know, I've lived by it ever since. But the thing is like when you move into your destiny or when you hold your leadership position, it's actually your journey to replacing yourself. You know, yes. it's your journey to like actually to to you know, some people are like it's it's me making myself bigger and bigger, no. but but no, it's like once people see you, then they start to transform um, themselves, all of you, with you. They start to transform you. A whole bunch of things happen, and you start to see like little tiny pieces of yourself elevated and transformed in ways you would never think of. You know, never think of. And she talked about that you have to be seen. Like, for it to happen, you actually have to be out there and you have to be vulnerable and you have to allow. Like yourself to be witnessed, and the older you get, like she was like, and like every ten years of your age, there should be somebody ten years younger than you, not the one that's like I've got to say everything you say, but the annoying one that's always asking you (laughs) questions, and the, the annoying one that's that's always asking you questions and correcting you from something you said before that you can't remember and who's like bringing in the latest technology that you need to move on to like that person yeah. needs to have real agency in your life and so now you know i have somebody in their 20s i have somebody in their 30s uh-huh. i have somebody in their 40s cuz i'm that's how i'm rolling mm-hmm. and then anybody under 20 can <laughs> can bother me for anything and it is like you you do like start to see that you don't do a disappearing it's that an evolution happens around over and beyond you That's and i think as you get older like it can be a, a certain kind of feeling like you might feel emotional about it and sometimes i tell people um you know you be just be a tree be a big beautiful amazing tree like you know let let the people yeah. see you like in all your glory yeah. and then i'm like and then let them take everything they want <laughs> exactly
1: <laughs> let, them, let them mind you. you know this i think good homework for our listeners with this episode would be to watch the fantastic fungi movie because i just mm-hmm. watched it and i it's it's aligned with all of these things that's like Your life is only a portion of what you contribute and your death is an equal portion of what you contribute and the redistribution of what you have come to bring happens at that moment of transition. Like it happens while you're alive, you surrender to destiny and you give as much as you can of what you carry. And I find it, that movie just helped remind me like it's so much easier if you don't think of it all as yours in the first place. But if you think of it as what was given to me to carry and pass on. What was given Mm -hmm. to me to distribute. What was given to me to share. Uh, You know, like Lauren receives the destiny that comes through her to be gifted to her people in this time. And we have a lot of Laurens amongst us, right? Yes, we do. We are... You and I are carrying pieces of destiny, and we are surrounded by a community of people carrying destiny so much so that we can't move in any direction without running into someone who is thick and full of destiny. And it's a gift, but we're not special. We're just Mm -mm. giving in, surrendering. And I think that that watching that movie for me helped me remember, like, you know, the mushroom you can see, the star that you can see, the one instance, that's just one tiny portion of this massive interconnected web underground of life moving and moving and moving and what you want to do is like when it's your time to mushroom go mushroom bloom blossom Mm -hmm. you know be magnificent toxic beautiful (laughs) transmitting it all and but don't forget that it's like mycelium that is actually all connected and in the same way like you know these ideas move through us destiny moves through us but you know, we bloom briefly, but the the ideas and the connection, the interconnected nature of our species, that I think is eternal. As long as there is a universe, <laughs> you know, we are tied into something that eternal. And that's mm. good. That's That allows us to be more temporary with less clinging. Yeah. So I think we did a good job by this episode, which is not an easy one to move through. And I mm. really am grateful for our listeners because y'all are growing each week and I love that people are starting to really be demanding so like Monday morning hits and folks are like where is my episode <laughs> and I'm um, really appreciating y'all so Octavia's Parables is hosted by Toshi Regan and Adrian Marie Brown produced by Kat Aaron and our show art is from Krista Franklin
0: yes and our music um, there's a new world coming Uh, As written by Bernice Johnson Regan, um, performed and with additional lyrics by myself, performed by the cast of Octavia E Butler's Parable of the Sower, with lead vocals by Shayna Small, and Always See the Stars is written by me and performed by me.
1: And you can find us on Twitter at oParables and sustain our show by becoming a patron on Patreon.com/slash oParables and. I really hope that everyone can hear the ice cream truck going by because yes, this is right. childhood is still somewhere. in effect during the apocalypse.
0: And You know and, what? They turned the music up to, there was an ordinance oh, yeah. that the music should go down. And they're like, nope, we're nope, turning it up. Everyone's inside. Right
1: it's summertime. We know y'all need this. And plus, we're just a COVID machine. So come get some COVID ice cream. No. <laughs> ice cream right <laughs> Hell no. All right. I love you. So I be it. You. See to it.
0: So be it. See to it.